Hey, before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you guys know about a program I'm launching in just a couple weeks called Stress-Free Summer. This is for all of you out there who are a little bit stressed about the kids being home in the summertime, not really sure how you're going to make it through without the typical breaks that you get from school and all that kind of thing. This will be a six-week live program where I will be teaching concepts each week and you will have access to me for Q&As as well as messaging with any questions that you have. We will be covering both practical tools as well as mindset that together is going to help you have the most successful summer. If this sounds like something that's interesting to you, be sure to get on the wait list. You can find the link in my bio on Instagram at Freckled Hand. Getting on the wait list will give you access to additional bonuses as well as the pre-sale price. I want all of you to go into this summer feeling confident, calm, and excited about what this summer could look like for you. And I want you to have the most successful summer ever. Join my program, Stress-Free Summer, to be able to do just that. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Rantish Podcast. I am so excited to be having my first in-person guest, Ashley. I don't actually know your last Turner, I knew that. <laughs> um, Vitality with Ashley, that's what I think of you in my mind. And we are going to be ranting about a couple of different things, but one of the main rants is going to be about hormones, hormone health. Yes, I'm very excited. I this is a topic that is actually very new to me. I think it's kind of maybe new to a lot of people, but I'm curious how you got into it or when this rant started for you, this journey. <laughs> well, it happened a few years ago. I have a very bad history with my hormones. Like from the age of 14, I had ovarian cysts rupturing left and right. I was in so much pain all the time. I thought being a woman was the worst thing ever. And I pretty much was just like, I'm done with this. I I, uh, got on birth control at a very young age. I was on and off birth control from the age of like 14. And then I started learning about birth control. And after having my first baby, I uh, bled for a year. Hmm. And because you like, didn't get back on, birth I control didn't get after. back on birth control. They said we can put you on the mini pill, and I was like, okay, let's do that. But I still bled for a year, and I was like, something's not right here. So I remember one day, uh, like three years ago, sitting there, doubled over in pain um, because of menstrual cramps or something, and I was scrolling on Instagram, and I saw like a fifteen second clip of Elisa Vitti talking about In the Flow, which is her book. And she teaches a lot about how to live according to your cycle and how to actually use food and exercise to heal your hormones. And I was a holistic health coach at that time, and I had learned a little bit about hormone health, but she opened up a whole new world. And so I started researching, and I just took a deep dive And now I'm at the point where I have zero pain my whole cycle. And I now understand that if something hormonally is off, I know exactly how to fix it. So I just feel empowered. How do you know when something is off hormonally? So here is the beautiful thing about your body. The color and consistency of your monthly bleed is like an at-home hormone test. That's awesome. So you can tell from the color and consistency 
what is off in your body. And if you know what's off, then you know how to balance it as well. So I'll eat different kinds of foods. I'll support my liver. I'll, I'll you know, shift my exercise to be able to bring my body back into alignment and um, shift my hormones back where they should be. That's incredible. Let's take a quick step back because I'm going to guess a lot of people aren't even familiar with all of the stages of the menstrual cycle. Well, is it is it called the menstrual cycle, the whole thing, or is there another name for the full, like with the luteal phase and all those different phases and stuff? So it, yeah, it's your menstrual cycle. It is your menstrual cycle. It's, it's your infradian clock, as they call it. Okay. Um, it's the second clock that we run on as menstruating women. Okay, what's the first? So the first clock is your circadian rhythm. Okay. So that's a 24-hour clock. And then your infradian rhythm is a 28-day, well, 24 to 31-day clock. Every woman is a little bit different, but that is what they refer to as your infradian rhythm or your second clock. Interesting. Yeah. And, okay, wow. I have so many thoughts. There's so many directions <laughs> we could go with this, but um, we'll come back to that. Let's go back to the cycles. So you're, let's go through all of the different parts of the cycle. Okay. So the day your monthly bleed stops is the beginning of the follicular phase. Okay, interesting. So sometimes some women, their menstrual cycle is only like three days. Or mm-hmm. Menstrual phase, sorry. Menstrual mm-hmm. phase is only like three days. But some women, it's like up to five, six days. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's all within the range of normal. Yeah. Every, okay. Three to seven days is normal. Okay. Um, yeah. And so after the follicular phase, you... Before we... What is happening during the follicular phase? So that's when your hormones are starting to rise. They're starting to go back up because you hit your low during the menstrual phase. Like okay. that's when all of your hormones have come down. And are you like literally flushing those hormones out with your bleed? Is that kind of what's happening? Your bleed is detoxing. Those hormones aren't necessarily all coming out. Okay. Um, but your monthly You're not bleed producing does as do much as them. Okay. some detoxing for your body at that time. Okay. So um, after that is the ovulatory phase. And that's like three to four days. You know, you're only ovulating for one day, but, you know, three to four days. Plus, if you're not trying to conceive, you put a little cushion on both ends of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when your hormones hit their peak. So that's when your um, estrogen and your testosterone are going to be at their highest. That's when you're going to have the most energy. That's when, you know, you're ready to take on the world, basically. So you go from your lowest to your highest. Yeah. So it's like it's like a, a crescendo. Okay. So the follicular phase is where you're starting to ramp up. You're gonna notice like energy, more energy coming into your body. Then you're gonna hit your peak in the ovulatory phase. That's okay. the day that you ovulate. Okay. And then you go into the luteal phase. The luteal phase kind of like arcs down slowly. So the first five days of the luteal phase kind of feel like the ovulatory phase still. You still have a lot of energy. Um, you're going to be super productive during this phase. And then usually the next five to seven days, you start to, that's when, you know, PMS will hit for some people that's, if your hormones aren't balanced, those last five to seven days is when the, your hormones are dipping back down to their lowest again. And then once they hit their lowest, that's when menstruation happens. Gotcha. Okay. And then it all starts again. Yeah. So the, the comment I was going to make before that I paused on was just about how 
Because for men, they just have the circadian rhythm. And so a lot of our society, I guess, right now is kind of structured around that 24-hour clock. Yeah. And a lot of women kind of have just conformed themselves into that singular rhythm. Mm -hmm. And so the idea with this is helping women kind of yeah, yeah, we obviously we have that 24-hour clock, but also tune into this 24 to 30 whatever day clock that we have that is in conjunction with our cycle. Yes, exactly. So the male hormone pattern kind of it, it mimics the day that we have. You know, their testosterone is highest in the morning and then around so that's when they go to work usually you know and then around 5 p.m around happy hour is actually when their estrogen hits their high so estrogen is known as like the social lubricant it like makes people more chatty more social so of course that's when you know men want to go home be with their family be with their wife and then you get your melatonin that comes in and so that's when everybody goes to bed around you know 9 10 11 just depending on the person and the whole thing cycles over again so that's the male hormone pattern and as women we do have a circadian rhythm you know our melatonin serotonin all of that but we also work off this 28 day clock as well and so being able to tune into your 28 day clock and biohack your hormones actually gives you like a huge hormonal advantage that I was never taught about in school. And I just want as many women to know about it because it really has opened up a greater relationship with me and my body BFF, as I call myself, (laughs) you know, my body. Um, Because I think society as a whole kind of teaches us, you know, to not listen to our bodies. And, you know, you should function like a man. And, you know, I've heard you refer to, you know, women are not small men. Like, and that is so true. We are not, we're completely different. We move and work more like a wheel. Like if you think of a wheel rolling, like it's very productive. It's way more productive than, you know, trying to roll a square or anything like that. So if you think of us like a wheel rolling, there's going to be acceleration. There's going to be rest. There's going to be all of the phases of moving forward. But it doesn't have to be done the same way that men do it. Yeah, I love that. And like you were saying too, leaning into the strengths that we have during the different phases of the cycle. I've heard you refer to that as like your superpower, right? Like you have different superpowers depending on where you're at. Yes. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yes. This is actually like the most exciting thing for me to learn about when I was learning about all of this is I was like, whoa, hold up. Like my hormones are actually giving me an advantage in life. They're actually serving me in a productive way and they're not just something that I want to suppress forever. Yes, exactly. And here's the thing. Like if you are cycling, if you are ovulating, if you are not suppressing your hormones by being on like um, hormonal birth control then you have access to all of these superpowers. And by bringing your hormones your hormones into balance, you have more access to them. So it's like this whole world opens up. So in the follicular phase, like the way that estrogen works with your brain chemistry, because hormones are chemical messengers in the body, right? So when they're interacting with your brain, it's actually opening up like different neural pathways in your brain depending on where you are in your cycle, which to me is absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's fascinating. (laughs) So in the follicular phase, 
you are opening up like this newness, this uh, sense of adventure, this creativity, like this is the best time in your cycle for you to um, work on like difficult, difficult brain problems. You know what I mean? Like if you have a really difficult thing at work that you need to figure out, like the follicular cycle is the time to do it. It's the time when you're the best at planning. So it's like when I do all my meal planning, I do it the whole month in the follicular cycle because it's going to be easier for me because of the way my hormones are working with my brain chemistry. That is fascinating. It, it And it blows my mind. Yeah. Because I notice now, I can feel the shift in my energy and I can tell like, okay, my creative juices are flowing. I need to get this entire month planned out how I want it to go. And then I carry it out throughout the rest of the month. Right? Mm-hmm. Then we go into the ovulatory phase. The ovulatory phase is when your communication centers of your brain are on fire. So it's like the best time to like record podcasts or speak in public or write a book or write posts for Instagram or wherever you need like your linguistic skills. The ovulatory phase is your superpower like that. That's when I plan all of those kinds of things. Then you get into the luteal phase and that is like when you become the productivity queen. Like that's when you want to be like checking things off your to-do list because the way that your hormones are interacting with your brain is very much to me, it reminds me of like nesting before you have a baby. Mm -hmm. Like that feeling of like, there is a timeline. We have got to get things done. (laughs) And I think it's because like your body knows we're going to be menstruating soon and you need a break. So let's get your to-do list cleared off so that you have nothing hanging over your head so that you can literally just sit back and rest. Then you get to um, the menstrual phase, and this is what I find the most fascinating. You actually have the most communication between your right and left hemispheres of your brain during the menstrual phase. So it is like the best time to evaluate your life. It's when like the sugar coating of estrogen has worn off and you can actually see your life for what it is. Now, this is if your hormones are balanced, (laughs) okay? Because if you're like in the middle of PMS and you're like, oh my goodness, I hate my life. Like that is not what we're talking about. It does not mean your life actually is terrible. It just means you need to bring your hormones into balance and then you'll be able to see your life like the big picture that's when I set goals. Like that's the perfect time to do it. That's when I evaluate every month. Yes. That's a great time for journaling. It's a great time for like sitting down and being like, okay, during this next cycle, and that's how I plan out my life is cycle by cycle. What do I want to accomplish? But I'm not going to actually plan it out until I hit the follicular phase again, because I know that that's my superpower in the follicular phase. So you're like, Figuring out what you want to plan once you get to that next phase. Exactly. Interesting. I'm like, this next cycle, I want to focus on creating a morning routine. But I'm not going to actually decide what that looks like uh-huh. until I get to the follicular phase. And then I'm going to create an actual plan and carry it out throughout the rest of the cycle. Wow. It's all, it's just crazy. It's, I mean, it's amazing how like our bodies want to help us. And I feel like that has been so ignored for so long, you know, just all of the signs and especially for women and your comment before about hormones and just how many teenage girls like you, you know, at 14 is are prescribed birth control because it's like, it's just easier or better or what I like simpler when really it's like, 
your body was clearly trying to communicate. And instead of listening, we just silence it with these artificial who knows what, right? Exactly. Exactly. I saw a ding. I was going to actually show you before we started recording, but I saw um, a reel that someone was talking about birth control and basically how taking women's menstrual cycles away would be like taking, if they don't want to have a baby is basically like taking men's testosterone away if they don't want to have a baby. And like, can you imagine the outroar that that would happen in the world Uh, if people tried to do that? Yeah. No, men wouldn't stand for it. No. So I don't, I don't think women should either. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, there's got to be a better way. For sure. And if you are on hormonal birth control, you're basically in like the latter end of the luteal phase all the time. Interesting. So you're missing out on like your libido. You're missing out on your energy spikes. You're missing out on the planning and the execution. Like you are muting all of your superpowers, which once I found that out, I was like, oh, never again. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be at my full capacity as a woman. I want to stand in my power and muting my hormones is not going to do that. Making me more like a man is not going to help me stand in my power as a woman. Right. Yeah, I love that. What would your recommendation be for people who are just learning about this? Like what are the kind of the first steps to take? The first steps to take. Um, Follow Ashley on Instagram. <laughs> Vitality with Ashley. Okay, next. That's that's a good one. <laughs> um, there, I mean, there's a couple resources out there that I would highly recommend. Um, Woman Code by Elisa Vitti and also In the Flow by Elisa Vitti. I would also recommend getting the app MyFlow because it will actually help you map things out so that you're not trying to remember all of these things in your head. But um, if you can, if you can first take note of where you are, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you're on hormonal birth control and you're wanting to get off it, you want to start cycling like three to six months before you come off it. So cycling your food and exercise. Oh, okay. So that once you come off it, all of your symptoms that you've been suppressing, all of your The support will kind of be in place. Yes. Your body will be in a place where you've given it the micronutrients it needs. You've given it, you know, all of the minerals, the vitamins, so that your body can actually function the way it's supposed to. Obviously, different types of birth control have different amounts of hormones. But is there... Because... The reason why this I asked this is I was seeing in a Facebook group the other day about a woman asking about birth control and a bunch of people were like, oh yeah, get get the non-hormonal IUD. And I was like, I don't know if that's a really a thing. Is that really a thing? Yeah. Okay. It is. Okay. It is. Uh, as far as I know, there's only like one or two. Because I thought that, <laughs> okay. okay. On the market. Um, the rest of them are all hormonal as far as I know. Um, there's a copper IUD that can be used the problem with that is like it's it's a great it's a great alternative um it can cause more cramping it can cause like zinc deficiencies in the body so you want to be supplementing with zinc interesting um and you want to really be living cyclically as much as you can to be able to prevent like that extra cramping that can happen because you know whenever you put copper (laughs) or anything else inside your body there's going to be side effects so that's literally what it is just like the metal Mm -hmm. itself is what is preventing the pregnancy Uh yeah 
Interesting. Because your body is not going to get pregnant in like an unsafe environment for the baby. Mm-hmm. So like that's why, you know, people that are super stressed have a hard time getting pregnant. Um, and if you have an IUD, there's something in there that's preventing your body from feeling safe to get pregnant. So having the copper IUD in there helps prevent pregnancy. Okay. And then you said there's one other kind as well? Um, I think there's one other kind of IUD that's not copper, that's not hormonal, but you can't remember. That's I can't remember what it is. One, I've been hearing a lot about the book, um, Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Is that what it's called? Taking Charge of Your Own Fertility, I think. Where it just talks about um, natural family planning, basically. About just like getting really familiar with your cycle and using that to also mm-hmm. as a means of birth control. Yeah. There's that, there's diaphragms, there's, you know, there's a lot of different options Mm -hmm. if you're looking to be able to plan your family according to how you want it to pan out. Right. Um, But also not suppressing your body of its natural cycle. Yeah. And there's, I can't remember what it's called. There's one that is attached to an app and um, maybe we can put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah. But it's like attached to an app and you take your temperature every morning. It's like the daisy maybe? I think that's what it is. I think there's a couple of them, but yeah. Yeah. And um, I've heard great things about that one mm-hmm. as well because it, you know, it's extremely accurate because it's taking your temperature personally. So you're not relying off of, you know, like the norm, you know, it's actually body specific. Yeah. All right. So now let's hop into, you've mentioned a couple times using exercise and diet to help. And I'm couple questions here first like with diet because I know intuitive eating is very much like on the rise which I think is a really good thing so how do you prevent like because the idea with the diet aspect is really just incorporating certain foods into that time of the month and not really like cutting out food groups or like that kind of thing right yes so the way that I do it and the way that I work with my clients is we try to add as much as possible to what you're eating. We don't, like, I'm very much against deprivation dieting. Yeah. And so I am all about adding what we can. And, like, just by adding, you're naturally crowding things out because your stomach is only so big. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So physiologically, by making sure that you're adding certain foods, other foods that are probably not as helpful are going to get left out just by default. Um, but what I normally recommend is like focusing on what you can add instead of worrying about what you shouldn't be eating. Mm -hmm. So I take a very intuitive approach with myself because I will never eat anything that doesn't taste good. (laughs) Like that is my boundary. Yeah. Like I only eat things that taste good. Even if we're at Wendy's. I don't know. I've seen you drink beet juice and that's kind of questionable to me. Oh, no, no, no. It's so good (laughs) because I add things to it. I don't drink just straight beet juice because that doesn't taste real great. Yeah. But like I add apples to it and carrots to it and cilantro and other things like that that make it actually taste good. So I stand by that. I do not (laughs) eat or drink anything (laughs) I promise that doesn't taste good to me personally. Yeah. You know, will you just give kind of some ideas just so people kind of, I'm guessing that a lot of listeners, this is their first ever exposure to this kind of idea. So what are, if you could go through a couple of the phases, just be like during the first phase, these are a couple of things I'd like to concentrate on eating and during the second phase. And then maybe also for exercise. 
Okay. Yeah. So um, the amazing thing about our bodies is we mimic mother nature. As women, we mimic mother nature. So in the follicular phase, the foods that we should be eating are very much spring foods. And the follicular phase is the one immediately after your bleed. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So that's like our spring phase. So we should be eating lots of things that are naturally occurring during springtime. So like leafy greens and um, like fresh vegetables and fruits. Then you get into like your summertime foods. So that's a great time to, the best way I can describe it is like, if you want to be a raw vegan, like the best time to do it is during the ovulatory phase. That's when you can (laughs) eat like as many raw fruits and vegetables as you want and your body's going to be so happy about it. Then we go into like the autumn phase or the luteal phase. And that's when you want to be eating like grounding, complex carbohydrates. You really want to increase the amount of calories that you're eating during Mm -hmm. that phase. Because your body is getting ready to do this like miraculous thing of shedding its uterine lining and then building it back up again. Mm -hmm. Like it's so much work for your body to do. So obviously we need to be giving our bodies more during that phase so that it can get ready to do the work that it's going to do. And then you get into the menstrual phase and that is when you want to eat most like winter. So you want to be eating like your healthy fats, your proteins, like that's when you could eat like closest to like a keto diet or like a caveman diet or something like that. So it's super interesting to me that our bodies cycle just like the months of the year. Mm-hmm. Like we hit all the seasons every month. When it comes to exercise, um, the follicular phase is a great time to do like steady state cardio because your metabolism is actually slower during this phase. And so your body can do more work without shifting everything into like fight or flight cortisol spikes. Mm. And you can keep your blood sugar level stable easier than you can in the later phases. Then we go into the ovulatory phase. The ovulatory phase exercise is a great time for like high intensity interval training. That's when like you pull out all the stops and you do all the things you want to do and you go to the max. Hmm. Like because that's when your body is actually at its strongest, testosterone's at its highest, and your body's safest to do the most. Then we get into the luteal phase. And during the luteal phase is when at the the first 5 days you can still kind of treat it like the ovulatory phase, but you really have to listen to your body. Like if your hormones aren't completely in balance, like you're going to feel that energy shift and start to tick downward. And I kind of think of my exercise during that phase as like going down a hill, like slowly descending, making it a little bit easier as we glide in towards menstruation. So that's when I do like my heavy lifting is at the beginning, but I cut out cardio and then I will slowly taper it down to like doing Pilates or yoga or something that requires a little less energy because my metabolism is naturally going to be higher during this phase. So I'm burning more calories while I'm doing nothing. Hmm. So I want to be eating more and exercising less, which is not usually what we hear as advice, right? Totally, yeah. And then as I get into the menstrual phase, usually the first day of menstruation will be like a rest day for sure. doesn't matter where I am week-wise if it's actually supposed to be a rest day or not, but it's a rest day and I will either go for a walk or I will take a nap. 
Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will do what feels good. And then depending on your body, some people will start to feel their energy start to rise directly after, or it'll take a few days. And once you start to feel your energy rising is when you can let your exercise reflect your energy levels and increase slowly. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. It's so much information. I feel like it is so much information. Be taking notes. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's so good. It, it like this is the type of stuff. Why? Who? How did Alyssa Vitti figure this all out? Because nobody knows. Like nobody talks about this. Like who teaches this? You know? Um. Yeah. Exactly. She was actually going to go to medical school, and she had a whole bunch of hormonal imbalances herself, and she. Uh, didn't like the options that she had Mm -hmm. and the doctors that she went to nobody knew what they were talking about so she was like i'm gonna figure this out and she's now like a holistic practitioner yeah and she has like a whole center that helps women um balance their hormones and uh, she has done a huge service to the rest of the women in the world yeah and there's there's actually a whole bunch of other women that came before her as well that have done little bits of little bits of research you know what I mean kind mm-hmm. of putting everything in place but I feel like she at least for me because that's how I was introduced to it kind of really brought it to crescendo and gave us all the information that we need to be able to take control and power of our bodies yeah it's incredible because so much I feel like of the research I, I haven't read the book but I've heard about this book um, called Invisible Woman I don't know if you've heard of that but it's basically a talks about a bunch of different research studies that just completely didn't use any women in their focus groups because women are so unpredictable, quote unquote, right? And it's just like the world has done, no, you're fine, has done such a disservice to women in just either ignoring or denying the hormone structure that we have in place, right? Because, yeah, even like all these diets that you hear about, like you're saying, they can work during the certain phases, but if you're going to eat keto you know, all month long, that is not going to be helping your hormones. That's not going to be helping you feel the best that you could possibly feel. And yet we're just taught to like completely not listen to our bodies because it's like, what do our bodies know, right? Well, yeah, because women is, have always been known as like, you know, hysterical and, right. you know, their hormones are making them crazy. And yeah, they don't use, they don't use women in a lot of the clinical trials. Actually, they use women. They don't use menstruating women. Number one, because it's a liability. Number two, because how are you going to know if whatever it is you're doing is actually causing a side effect or if it's her hormones that are causing a side effect? So they just don't use women. So they've had to do like separate research to be able to figure all of these things out. And, um relying on like ancient Chinese medicine as well, which, you know, I don't think it's enough credit. Right. Um, But yeah, I agree with you that it's very frustrating to be a woman and be like, wait, where, where's the, where's the research on this? Right. For me. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because I'm not a small man. (laughs) Exactly. I'm not a man at all. (laughs) Yeah. And to just assume that because something works for men is so... It's just so sad that that's how it has been thought for so it's long. It's comparing apples and oranges. Okay. Kind of switching gears, but still related. I have followed you on Instagram for a while, and something that I've heard you talk about that I had never heard of prior to you was breast implant illness. Does that impact your hormones as well? 
It impacts everything. Okay. <laughs> it causes, it, it, if you have breast implant illness, it causes systemic inflammation. So for me, it manifested as extreme brain fog. Like I felt like I had Alzheimer's. Hmm. It was terrifying. And I was like, I, I'm in my 30s. How is my brain going already? Mm-hmm. And considering like how healthy I am and how I try to take care of myself, I was like, something is not right. And the sad part is like there's no tests to find out if you have breast implant illness. Like if you have breast implants and you start to experience symptoms, all they tell you is they're like, well, uh, you can get them taken out and see if you feel better, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of one of those like shot in the dark. A lot of people, it's their last resort because, you know, they've they've done all the other things. And then finally it's like, ding, maybe it's my breast implants because it's not something for some people, it does come on suddenly and you know right away, like you get your implants and then all of a sudden you can't get out of bed, you know. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, it's like slow toxicity, which is what it was for me. Because when I first got my breast implants, I was like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> like, Because you were how old when you had them done? I was 26. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was 26. So I had them for 11 years. And... um. I think it was 11, yeah. And I didn't notice anything And you were at all. having kids, like, alongside this, too. Oh, yeah. So probably a lot of it you explained away with, like, oh, you know, pregnancy brain or, yeah. oh, I have a newborn or, you know, just these other things. So how was it that you finally were like, okay, this is more than just the typical pregnancy and hormones that are associated with that? Um, because I went to – I went to doctors – I went to different practitioners and was like, this is what I'm experiencing. And they all said, oh, it's because you're a mom and I... you're stressed. <laughs> if you want to get my brain, my not my brain, my blood boiling, like, whoo, the fact that well, practitioners can, like, actually say that to women and just, like, brush off any of their medical concerns makes me livid <laughs> i i agree and I, I was livid talk about rantish like yes oh I was like, my that gosh. is not okay no like it's this not. is i'm i don't have to live with this no and that's what but the expectation the that you should and that it's oh, normal and yeah. that it's like oh well you know you're a mom there's like you asked for this kind of the, just the implication of that yeah you you chose Ooh. to have kids so that means you don't get your brain anymore right no i'm sorry no there's always a root cause and Absolutely. that's what Becoming a holistic health coach taught me is like, there is always a root cause. You just have to dig deep enough to find it. And so when I kept getting told like, oh, you're just stressed. You're just a mom of four kids and it's a lot. I was like, no, this, no, No. it's not. This is not okay. There's something wrong with me and I need somebody to listen. And that's the sad thing too, is a lot of plastic surgeons, if you go to them and you say, I think I have breast implant illness, a lot of them will brush you off and be like, no, that's not a thing. Like, mm-hmm. there's no science to back it up. Okay, I don't need science to back it up. I know what's going on in my body. Something is off. And now there are hundreds and thousands and probably millions of women that have experienced it. And it's finally getting recognized. Like, they have to put the black label on the box now for breast implants, which they didn't have to do before. Interesting. Yeah. That, you know, and it's it just the same like thing. This may it, cause... It's the same thing as like the black label that they put on cigarettes. Like hmm. this, this is toxic um, to a certain extent for certain people. And 
So when I kept getting that answer, I, I finally found a practitioner that was like, you know what, let's, let's do some muscle testing, let's do some blood work, see if you have a silicone sensitivity, maybe. And um, turns out I did. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and though that's not like a definitive test, that was enough for me to be like, to validate, you know what, the... I'm, I'm going to get them taken out. And after I did, like it took a while for some people, they notice instantly, hmm. like they come out of anesthesia and they're like, oh, I can breathe. That was not my story. I came out of anesthesia and I was like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> but as time went on, like my brain came back and I was like, I still have four kids. Yeah. I'm still occasionally sleep deprived. Right. And my brain's back. Like I'm able to carry on a conversation. Whereas before there was so much brain fog that even in the middle of a sentence, I would forget what I was talking about. Wow. Which was terrifying because when you know it's happening, that's scary. Yeah. Like you, you can acknowledge the fact that, wait, I just lost my train of thought and I'm in my thirties. Like that's not normal. And I'm not the type of person that's like, everybody needs to get their breast implants out. That's not me. Yeah. Because I honestly believe that having breast implants for me was part of my journey. And it, I, I think there's a lot of learning that have, that's happened since having them. Nobody could have talked me out of it at the time when I got them. They served a purpose for me. And now they're serving another purpose for me. Like I'm, I'm learning to live without them, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it all comes full circle. And I have so many friends that have breast implants and I'm like, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. I just want you to know what the symptoms are in case you ever experience them. Yeah. Because I don't think you can. Well, and that's why make... I want to bring it up just because it's like, yeah, we're not saying don't do what you want to do. Like, obviously you can totally choose to have that procedure done if you want. I just think knowing that this is a thing prior so that you can be aware of the signs if that does happen to you and just having that knowledge I think is really beneficial to literally everyone exactly because I think it can save you a lot of time a lot of heartache a lot of money yeah if you know that it's a possibility yeah and it it comes in the form of a million different things which is why it's hard to pinpoint right. you know it usually shows up as like an autoimmune condition and then once you get them out, your body starts healing and the autoimmune condition goes away. And that's how you know. Have you just in like the people that you've talked to, do you have any idea of how common it is? Um, no, I don't because they don't have statistics on it. Right. Um, at least last time I looked, they didn't. Yeah. And so I, I have quite a few friends that after I started talking about it, went and got their implants taken out and they all... They all had those miraculous recoveries in the You're like, <laughs> what the heck? Room, Why did I, I have like, that? Why did I have to learn the longer way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't change it. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of my story. Like it's all it's all part of the process for me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that cuz again, like I said, I had never heard of it. And then I, I heard you talking about it. And then after I heard you talking about it, I heard it from a few other places as well. And I mean, at least in Utah, I know that procedure is very, very common. And again, no problem with that. But just I think it's really helpful to have that awareness so that people can be making informed decisions. Yeah. 
I agree. My phone decided to shut off, so I don't remember the um, where we're at on our outline. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, about your pregnancy journey that we were going to say, too, with um, SPD. Oh, yes. Symphysis pubis, pubic, pubis dysfunction. I didn't say it right. <laughs> it's a mouthful. One of those. Which is why we call it SPD. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. I've heard of it, but I still don't really know what it is. Um, So it's an extremely painful condition where the ligaments in your pelvic, like your hips and everything that connects, get really, really loose when you're pregnant to the point where like you can't walk across the room. Like, it is excruciating to no end. Because it's so loose. That's why. Yeah. So, like, you lay down and everything shifts and then you get up and you can't walk. Wow. It, it's like your body is, like, uh, one of those little, you know, those pushmen where you push the bottom and they fall over. <laughs> <laughs> like, those little skeletons, you know? That's, that's kind of what it's like. Um, and I had it with my last three babies. I didn't have it with my first one. Um, but my last three babies, I suffered with it. The third baby was the worst. That was when I was in the most pain because it gets progressively worse with each pregnancy because everything just gets looser and looser and looser. And I did everything I could to like in between babies to try to strengthen everything as much as I could. And it wasn't until my fourth baby where I worked with like a a pregnancy hip specialist. Mm. Um, and that made the biggest difference because they were specific exercises for my condition. She worked out with me once a week um, for my entire pregnancy. Wow. And by the end of it, like – labor was not as painful and I could walk in like the end of my third pregnancy they had to wheelchair me out of the room and into the hospital and the nurses even when they came to check me after I had my third baby they were doing all those leg checks you know they're like lift your leg and I couldn't and they were like whoa like I've read about this but I've never actually seen it and I was like Mm. better bedside manner please (laughs) you're like thank you so how because does it tend to um the strength come back after the pregnancy is over gradually yes it takes a while but like i had a really hard time walking even after i had my third baby but after my fourth baby it was a different story interesting so the whole time oh i just slapped my microphone the whole time (laughs) after that third pregnancy leading up to the fourth you were still dealing with the effects of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lot of faith to get pregnant again. Oh, yeah. And just like bending over to pick up a sock, like my hips, my SI joint would shift out. Wow. And I had to go to the chiropractor, physical therapist, like all the things, all the time. It was, it was awful. But knowing that there is a way to get through it without wanting to die um that i think is huge yeah women like you need to work with a specialist throughout your whole pregnancy because it will make the biggest difference that's really good to know i don't know how common that i know actually i know how i have another friend who's also dealt with it 
Um, so I don't know how common that is either, but that's just, again, something that I want people to know about because there's so many resources now, but people just don't know. Is the, the specialist Clara, is that who you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I worked with her a little bit after my, um, what pregnant? It was before Brighton or after, it was after Brighton. Yeah. After Brighton's birth. I worked with her as well. So she's awesome. Yeah. She's incredible. We will link to her. Is she still doing it? Is she still taking clients i meant to find out we will find out i know she was taking a break but yeah she may be back at it if not i'm sure there are other people that she could um lead you to speaking of birth um what what were your birth experiences like my first birth um i wanted to have a home birth and so i prepped for it i was all ready for it I had my midwife, I had my birth tub, and after three days of unmedicated labor, oh my gosh. I went to the hospital and got a C-section. Three days? Yeah. Did they find out why? Um, no. They just said failure to progress. Hmm. And um, I think that I was pushing before I should have, mm. and it caused some swelling. Um, and everybody was okay. Like, it wasn't an emergency C-section. Like, I went to the hospital, took a three-hour nap, and then <laughs> C-section. They gave me fluids and stuff because I was really dehydrated. Um, but then after that, like, no midwives would take me if I wasn't going to be in a hospital. Hmm. So I had my second baby in a hospital. I tried for an unmedicated birth, but my husband had just had a traumatic brain injury. Oh. He had a four-wheeler fall on his head. So, fall on his head. Yeah, it fell on his head. Um, so what? he was... <laughs> Like, wait, what? How does that happen? Um, I live with a very adventurous man. <laughs> <laughs> and so six weeks before I had my second baby he had a four-wheeler fall on his face and he had a really really bad concussion was he in the four-wheeler he he was pushing it up a hill and the hill got too steep and it came backwards on his head oh my gosh and he's okay yeah like he's all better now but it was it was rough for a while and so when he wasn't able to be my birth coach like Mm -hmm. my birth partner he was laying on the couch with like a blanket over his head because the lights were hurting his brain and his eyes. Oh and gosh. so I had called my sister to come drive down and be my birth companion from Canada. So she was on a 12-hour drive while I was in labor. And so I was laboring unmedicated by myself until she got there. And about 30 minutes before she got there, I asked for the epidural. So I got, I had an epidural birth, which was wonderful and amazing. Um, And then I wanted to try again for an unmedicated birth with my third. And I went into labor in the morning, went into the hospital and had her like maybe six hours later, I think three hours later, six hours later, something unmedicated but the memory that stands out the most is my doula which highly recommend having a doula if you're Mm -hmm. gonna go unmedicated right my doula and my midwife um they had given me like a safe word where they were like okay you know it's normal to be like i want the epidural but if you say this word 
then we'll know you're really serious. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's coming in and out of my room because everything was happening really fast. And I'm sure everybody in the hospital, all they heard was, peaches, peaches. Peaches? That was your I was screaming peaches. (laughs) And eventually my midwife came over and she was like, sweetie, we don't have time. And I was like, oh, okay. And then like a shift happened inside of me and I went like really internal and I had my unmedicated birth with my daughter, which was amazing. And then with my fourth, I was like, let's do it again. Because I loved having an unmedicated birth so much. But with my fourth, I was like, I don't want any coaching. Mm. Like, I want my doula there. I want my husband there. But I don't want any nurses telling me to push. I don't want yeah. my midwife saying anything. And so I got to have this beautiful, wonderful, just so empowering experience of birthing that baby all on my own. Like stepping into my power as a woman, pushing this baby out with, I would say, like little to no pain because I knew what was coming. I knew what was happening. I could breathe through it. I did hypnobirthing and it was one of the best days of my entire life. Like it was absolutely incredible. That's awesome. Was it like, um, <laughs> was it similar to like how they portray birth in movies or what you say? <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you want me to go on a rant, this is like <laughs> the best topic for me because as a small child, I remember watching a movie where a woman was giving birth and she was like screaming uh-huh. and she was like, give me the drugs. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's what it takes to have a child? And I was like, I don't want to be a girl anymore. Like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to have babies. And I saw the needle for the epidural, and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And I carried that fear until I, like, learned about home births. And I think just switching the environment of not being in a hospital and being at home and being, like, totally in control, I was like, that's what I want to do. But it makes me so angry that we terrify new mm-hmm. mothers into or thinking, even young children, young girls. Yes, even young girls. <laughs> like eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, right? <laughs> yes. We terrify women into – we terrify them out of what could be one of the most empowering and spiritual and, you know, igniting experiences of their entire life. Like, we rob them of that mm-hmm. when we say that birth is terrifying and it's awful. And believe me, and like, my first birth of. was traumatic. Like, I've had to do therapy for that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that it would have happened the way that it did had I not had all of that programming and mm-hmm. all of that fear instilled in me from such a young age. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because my mom... Um, she had really fast labors, like really, really fast labors. And she thought it would be fun for all of us kids to come to the birth of my little sister. And I remember a lot of her friends and people thinking that was very weird. But so I was there and I was, I was five. I was in kindergarten at the time. And it was a very calm scene. Like my mom gave birth unmedicated. She did it laying down in the hospital chair, like with blankets covering everything and like there weren't even any nurses in the room when my sister was born but I really do feel like that I didn't really like think about the not gravity but just how I don't know I didn't think about that as a kid like it was just like oh yeah I went to 
I saw my little sister be born, you know, I was there, whatever. But now looking back, it's like, I do think that I was, had a huge advantage because I Mm. didn't have all these crazy stories about birth because I had, that was the first birth experience that I had seen, right? Like I hadn't seen birth portrayed in movies uh, as a five-year-old yet, right? But I did, I was there in the hospital when my sister was born. And I just, when you said that, I was thinking about that, like how cool that was of my mom to be able to share that experience with her daughters who could, you know, take that and not have as much fear. I mean, I think it still creeps in for sure because we still see it in so many other places, but at least it wasn't as ingrained from such a young age. Like it probably is for most women. Yeah. Well, and I get that there's like a comedic relief factor of like watching a woman in labor and telling her husband that this is your fault. And like, I get it. But at the same time, like we need to make sure that women know that that is, that is fairy tale. That is fake. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. And yeah, we have the tools and we have the knowledge of, I mean, it goes back to the cyclical living thing, right? Like that our, we're not working against our bodies, right? Our bodies are here to serve us. And once we can tune into that, instead of rejecting that, we are standing in our power in such a fuller way than when we are trying to be at odds with our bodies. I agree. I agree. And I think any way that you decide to birth is absolutely beautiful, is absolutely wonderful. But I think the more we can take fear out of the equation, the better it is for everybody involved. Absolutely. Making those decisions from a place of, from an empowered place rather than a place of fear and yeah, just like not really knowing. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. All right. We ready for a rant of the week? That was fun. I mean, we had so many mini rants in there. It was great. (laughs) Bring on all the rants. I don't actually have a rant of the week prepared. Do you have a rant of the week? A rant of the week. Um, Yes, I do. I am a person, I guess, that believes very much in freedom to choose an agency And I don't think that you can actually be free to choose unless you have all the information that you need on both sides of an issue. And I had this sweet friend of mine reach out to me today and just be like, hey, I wanted to get your opinion on um, my daughters are in soccer and everybody's telling me that I need to put them on the pill so that they don't tear their ACLs during like the menstrual phase. And I was like, okay, I fully support you guys making a decision that's right for you. But what bothers me is like not having all the information. Like if you don't know that by putting your daughter or yourself on the pill that you're subjecting yourself to like screwing up your microbiome for like a long time and having uh, the potential of having like suppressed ovulation for the rest of your life. Or the fact that you're going to be messing with like your micronutrients and you're depriving your body of like vital chemicals and minerals that it needs long term. Because while we're menstruating, our body is actually like storing all of these vital chemicals and nutrients and minerals. And if we're suppressing that, we're depriving our body of all of those things. So like we, we have a higher risk of osteoporosis 
And when you're on birth control, hormonal birth control, you're increasing your risk for certain types of cancer and you're increasing your risk for blood clots and for heart issues. And there's all of these things that just aren't presented to us when we go to the gynecologist. And I'm like, you're going to fear me into having birth unmedicated, but you're not going to tell me the the, uh, possible side effects of like an epidural. Or you're going to tell me to get on the pill, but you're not going to tell me what the possible side effects are. And it drives me crazy to think that we're not free to choose because we don't have all the information. Right. We're not given the information. Absolutely. Exactly. I think present all the information and then let people make the best decision for them. You know what I mean? And then respect that and don't use fear mongering to try to sway them to your side. Explain to me this. They're worried about the ACL tearing. That's why they want birth control? How? Okay. So um, during the menstrual phase of your cycle, you are statistically more likely to get injured than any other phase because of uh, your, you have less collagen during that phase of your cycle. Like everything is like just a little bit more brittle and needs a little bit more care. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if you're playing competitive soccer during your menstrual phase – you are more likely to tear something like your ACL, MCL than you are if you're playing it during your ovulatory phase. So my answer is like, let's do what the U.S. women's soccer team does and train according to our cycle. And do let they really women- do that? Yes, they do. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let women be women and train according to their strengths. And, you know, like if somebody's if somebody's got the stomach flu and is throwing up, are you still sending them out on the field? Like if a girl is menstruating, like if she feels up to it, great. But if she's not feeling up to it, like let her take a couple hours off. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just I'm very passionate about people making decisions from an informed perspective. Yeah. Man, that's tricky. That's so tough, too, because it's like, I'm sure, you know, your friend at least some semi understands the implications of birth control for her girls, but I'm sure they don't really. Like, they're just thinking in the here and now, and they're like, well, all the the rest of the team is doing it. Like, why wouldn't we do this, right? Yeah. Well, and oh, I'm sure they're so all coming hard. at it from a place of love. Like, the people that are suggesting it probably don't oh, know totally. either. Oh, totally. Because they're like, I mean? this is going to prevent you from getting hurt. Yeah, they're I don't thinking want you to in get the short hurt. term. I'm trying to save your knees for the long run when really they don't realize that you may be saving their knees in the short term, but in the long term, you're what is setting her up for, you know, possible dementia and cancer and blood clots and all of these other autoimmune issues. Like, yeah. So just having all the information, I think, is super important these days. Absolutely. My rant is not nearly that deep. <laughs> sorry. No, don't be sorry. I'm like, you gave me a heads up. Yeah. I had time to think about it. <laughs> My rant is about Apple AirTags and oh. how they're the worst. <laughs> okay. One of our friends, they, have, they took their kids to like Disneyland or something. And so they got Apple AirTags for all their kids on a little bracelets. And I thought that that was such a good idea. And, you know, we'll go out to the aquarium. We're not going to Disneyland or anything. But we'll go on family outings to the aquarium or the zoo or whatever. And I thought that would be really handy because I have a couple of kids who, well, one in particular, well, two, that tend <laughs> to wander a little. So we get Air- Apple AirTags for all the kids. 
And they're a freaking joke. Really? Literally, they can be in the house and I'll try to ring their tag and it says cannot find. It's like oh, no. not searchable. <laughs> they have to be literally like within maybe 30, 45 feet of you in order for it to detect where it is. So if you lose them at the zoo, you have to run around. <laughs> There's literally no point. There's literally no point. It was a total waste of money. Aww. But we were so dumb that we got them engraved because when you order the air tag, oh, there's like this no, option to engrave them. <laughs> we can't we can't resell them. We can't return them. It like, was, is there anyone save your money, with a daughter people named? People do not buy the Apple air tag. I mean, maybe it works. It works for my keys because usually I at least have a general idea of where my keys are. But even like our garage is detached, and so if I am looking for my keys and I'm inside, it will say that it's not. It's like try again, out of range. But then I I know oh it must be in the car. But that's not helpful if you're at the zoo. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not helpful. Your kids can order. And last time we were at the zoo, when one of our children wandered off, which is why you know we were looking for these air tags. <laughs> the zoo. Okay, now this is a, a secondary rant. Oh, good. Just for fun, um, we lost him by the carousel, and we kept walking, but we realized like, oh, he's not here. So we go back to the carousel. I'm looking around. He's not there. Finally, I ask a worker. And like, if, if perhaps I cannot find a child, where might he be? You know? And they're like, That's oh. always the funnest question. Like, <laughs> I, I lost my kid. <laughs> we don't know where our kid is. They're like, oh yeah, we'll call. So they call up to the front desk and they had found him. They had taken him on a golf cart from the carousel all the way to the entrance of the zoo. How was I going to find him at the entrance of the zoo? Not only that, they had given him Candy. No. Therefore, incentivizing my child to get lost again. He had the time of his life. He came, but we found him and he was like, he'd made a new friend. He was like, he was not worried. He was not crying anything. I'm like, come on. Come on, Hogelzoo. What are we doing here? Like, I guess that they were just, you know, trying to help him, like, not be sad that he was Make sure he's not traumatized, but also. Or whatever, but he did not care. <laughs> he was just excited about the candy, so. There you go. There's my double rant. Air tags, no. Hogo Zoo, get your act together. Actually, it's probably me that needs to get the act together. I am the one that lost the child, but whatever. It happens. We'll blame it, it on happens. the zoo. I would have, honestly, if he, they would have left him at the carousel, I would have found him way faster. Well, they took him further away so that right. you could find him faster. On a right? golf cart. So it took like 10 minutes to walk back to the entrance. Uh, then you uh, have to corral all the rest of the kids up that direction. You're like, we'll be there in like 45 minutes. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> thankfully, Stephen was there so we could divide and conquer, but oh, that's it good. still just was a truly bizarre thing that they did, in my opinion. All right. Final segment. The yes. uh, Oh, actually, before we do, I want to hear about your class because I know you're teaching an online class. Oh, yes. Okay. So this Saturday, I am teaching my Relearn Your Cycle class. And I'm launching this on Friday. So that means tomorrow, if you're listening. <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow. You have a very small amount of time. <laughs> um, my Relearn Your Cycle class on Zoom. So literally anybody from anywhere can attend. And I am going to be teaching all of the ways how to live and sync with your cycle, like how to actually do it. Because I'm a holistic health coach. And so what I do is I help people create lifestyle change. And 
I love teaching women how to live in their power and actually live in accordance with their cycle instead of fighting against it. It's really about like repairing that relationship with your body, which we have had so many messages throughout our lives to like shut that down and to, you know, just listen to what the experts say, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really about like... The experts that are not including women in their study. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Those ones. (laughs) The experts that think that we're small men. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So um, it is at 8 p.m. Mountain Time on Saturday night. But if you can't make it, um, there will be a replay. So you can get tickets. And then if you're busy And where would they go to get tickets? um, They would go to... You can go to... Either we'll leave a link in the show notes. Eventbrite, but... or you can go to Vitality with Ashley, and the link is in my bio. On Instagram. Yes, on okay. Instagram. So. Yeah, that's an awesome Please come, resource. because it's going to be so good. Yeah. So good, and so fun. Yes. Okay. Now we will move on to our final segment, which is the hot takes. And you are going to give which a 30 I'm really second. nervous about. <laughs> 30 second hot take. Okay. On something to always have in your car. Oh, I got to get my timer. Ready? Go. You have to have an in a pickle bag. It is a bag full of all of the things that you could ever need if you're a mother with kids. Like it's got scissors. It's got, uh, I'm sure it has a stapler. It's got, (laughs) you know, it's got needle, thread. It's got uh, hand sanitizer. It's got tweezers. That's where I tweeze my eyebrows. It's always in the car with my in a pickle bag. And I would not be able to survive without it. That is my go-to, and I think every woman should have it. And time. Wow, how did you know that was perfectly (laughs) timed? I was just watching you. (laughs) Wait, is this an actual product? Yes. Oh, really? It's an actual product, yes. I got it at Swiss Days, like, years ago. Oh, wow. I thought you just accumulated all these No, 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 no. It is called In a Pickle, and it's, like, this little bag that you – has – all of these little compartments. Okay. Everything you could need. I give it to teachers as teacher gifts because I'm like, you need this in the classroom. That it's is so, so smart. helpful with kids, small kids especially. That's awesome. Okay, I'm gonna go Google in a pickle bag now. Yeah. <laughs> and get it. It's yeah. It's the one thing I will always have in my car. Thank you so much again for coming. Driving to my house to be my first ever in-studio guest and putting up with all the technical fun challenges. It was so fun. (laughs) This has been a blast. And And your chairs are beautiful. I'm so happy that I get to be the first person sitting in this chair. It's true. Yeah. I feel honored. should have like a little book or something where people write there. (gasps) You should. (laughs) Staple it to the chair. I don't know. Yeah. To the back maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I seriously think that having... Access to this information is life-changing for everyone. And so I appreciate you being willing to come share so much of the knowledge that you have so that more people can have this information and also teaching. Like, I really hope people will check out your class and just follow you on Instagram to get more of the details because I have learned so much from following you the last couple of years and attending a class that you did. And just like, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where because I've been pregnant so many times in the last few years, it's hard to put into practice but now that I'm like oh I have a cycle now like this is so helpful to be aware and start noticing that changes within my those changes that are happening within my body during my cycle and it's just yeah there's it's invaluable 
the information that you shared. So, I agree. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And the class is going to be so fun. I hope you come check it out. It's going to be amazing. And I just can't thank you enough for having me because this has been so fun to get out and just chat about the things that I love talking about. Like this, there couldn't have been a better way for me to spend my time tonight. <laughs> this has been so fun to get to share everything that I love. So yeah, I agree with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I never know how to end these podcast episodes. So we're just going to say. Thank you for attending another episode of Rantish with Hannah Olson. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Loved it.